This is Mayo Clinic Talks, a curated weekly podcast for physicians and healthcare providers. I'm your host, Daryl Chutka, a general internist at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. Advanced directives are legal documents that allow our patients to indicate their wishes regarding end-of-life care. They can be very helpful to healthcare providers who administer this care and can help ensure that our patients receive the care they desire, often at times when they're no longer able to express their wishes to us. Despite their proven benefit, the literature suggests that healthcare providers often don't discuss advanced directives with their patients. With us today to discuss advanced directives is Dr. Janet Vittoni, an internist and geriatrician in the Division of General Internal Medicine at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. Janet, welcome. Well, thanks for asking me to be here with you today, Daryl. Before we officially get started, I've got a personal but sort of related question. My kids have declared me a DNR status. Can they do that, and is that valid? For you, yes. <laughs> that's okay. just a joke. That's what I was afraid of. Yeah, no. Um, you, since you're of sound mind, we believe Daryl is actually next to my office. So um, if you're of sound mind, which I think you are, you are the person who will fill out your own advanced directives. They mm-hmm. cannot say this is what you need or want. Good. Well, there would be some who dispute that, but I think you're right. What's the difference between a living will and durable power of attorney for health care? I think when Advanced Directives first got started, the first one we heard about was living will. But now there's several other terms. So what's Well, correct. So living will started, uh, actually a lawyer had developed a living will. And often it was focused on people who were at the end of life. And many would regard it as a document that for a patient who would not live beyond six months. So it was kind of a very finite period of time for these patients who filled out living wills. For the durable power of attorney for health care, it can be used for anybody at any age, typically age 18 and beyond. And it's, it, the document, I think, is more durable, obviously, in the name, and, and really helps patients explain or express who they want to be their voice in case they cannot define specific wishes that they may have, including where do you want to die if you have that choice, um, what, what's important to you as a human being in your life and living and death and dying process. So I think it gives people more information, and it's not limited by a time frame of mm-hmm. six months. So what they may want and maybe what they may not want? Correct, correct. So and when I'm discussing this with my patients, Um, I I have a checklist of questions I often ask patients on health maintenance, and this is one of them. So it's part of my routine to make it easier. So patients are going, why are you asking me about advanced directives and care? Am Mm -hmm. I okay? And I'll state to them, I ask this of all my patients, and I'll follow up by saying, I have an advanced directive, and I had it before I had cancer. And so they're kind of like, oh, okay, so you think it's important for you. Maybe I should think about it. So it gives that credibility. And... If they have one, I'll ask who their voice is, who's their communicator if, if they have their advanced directive. And then I'll ask some specific questions of them, like, do you have any spe- specific thoughts, any concerns about health care? I ask them maybe if they've had a family member who's had something happen to them where they felt very strongly, very positively, or felt very strongly, very negatively. And, and so we can incorporate that into their document. Mm-hmm. And I, I find in my patients, despite their age, only a small minority have actually thought about this and addressed it. So it is important for us to bring this up with patients. I, correct. And, and I said over 18. And so when you think of some of the cases, for example, Karen Ann Quinlan was in her 20s when she had a respiratory arrest and was intubated. 
and her family had requests, and she lived in New Jersey, and they wanted to discontinue the the um, tube that was helping her, her intubation tube. And so eventually went to the New Jersey court, and they were allowed to discontinue it. She did live about nine years beyond that time, and then move forward to Terry Schiavo, who was also in her 20s when she had a cardiac arrest. She had a eating disorder and uh, hypokalemics or potassium level dropped. And so she also was in a persistent vegetative state. She did not have an advanced directive. Her husband, who loved her, said she would not want to be maintained in this state. Her parents, who loved her, said, yes, she would, having the two feet keep her in that state. And, and so eventually went back and forth in the court system, and it was decided that she would not have wanted the tube feed, and within 13 days she passed on afterwards. Mm-hmm. So when, when we say, oh, this is just for the elderly, I, I would disagree. I think it's for everybody, and not that we all expect to die in our 20s or 30s, but people do. Right. And, and so to have the document available I think is really important. Yeah. So let's say you have an advanced directive. If you move to another state, is it valid in that other state, or do you need a second one? Um, Often they will be recognized. You, you, any state, you can just Google whatever state it is in advanced directive. So if you wanted to have that formal from that state, you could. But I've not heard cases where uh, another state has disallowed what has been requested. And, mm-hmm. and you just, because it's a formal document, different states have different requirements. You do, in our state, you don't need a lawyer to have this document legal. It's either to witnesses who would not benefit from your death or um, a notary. And usually that's the easiest thing to do. Mm-hmm. All right. Who should have a copy of this? Everybody. <laughs> that's important. So the patient should have the original copy. Whoever they designate as their power attorney for health care, often it's going to be a spouse or a child. And in about half the cases, it's a child. In about a third of the cases, it's a spouse or significant other. And then the other 30% is somebody else mm-hmm. so they sh- whoever's name is written on the document should have a copy your pr- your primary care provider should have a copy of it and I often I've had patients who will have it in a in a envelope and put it on the refrigerator so if EMT comes in in case of emergency their advanced directive is right there um, when I uh, worked with some of the medical students one was an EMT and in, in their small community they had a program where Everybody in the town had a small plastic bottle that they put their advance directive, then they put in the refrigerator. So every EMT knew that in that city, that's where you go to to find the advance directive. Mm -hmm. So have it where it's accessible, have it where it's available, and make sure the people that you know is important. For my patients who travel a lot, uh, either by car, have it in the car, or in the briefcase, or have an app, or not, I'm not aware of an app for advance directives, but at least have it documented somewhere that you have an advance directive. You can, on in your wallet, just put um, a, a laminated card that says, I have an advanced directive, a copy is with Dr. So-and-so in this office. Yeah. You, you mentioned uh, one of the children should have a copy of this, and I, I think I'm going to add that it's important for all of the kids to know about the wishes so it, when the time comes, there's not a big disagreement that I didn't know that Mom wanted this, so I don't think she would. So it, it helps cut down on the disagreements with the family later on. Right. And I think especially during big times of year, Thanksgiving, for example, any other holidays where a family gets together, when I ask patients to have that voice, I, I ask them, can you think of somebody you trust, respect, and love who would be your voice if you can't communicate? So I give them 10 seconds, and then they think of that person. And I encourage them to think of this as they're not making 
your decision. They're making, they're communicating your decision. So if, if it's kind of phrased that way, people don't feel so, I can't decide for mom, I can't pull the plug. Um, I, I encourage them to think about communication as, and they might not agree with what you're asking, but as long as they can understand and carry out, this is, my mom and I talked about this and this is what her thoughts were. Right. And that's helpful. And these can be changed. And let's talk a little bit about the uh, idea that they should be periodically reviewed. Is that a good right. idea? I, I think it's a great idea. So everyone I'm seeing my patients I, on my checklist, so if they have the advanced directives, I'll say, is so-and-so still your voice? If you can't communicate, yes, they are. Any changes in your medical conditions that you're aware of or any family conditions or issues that, that need to be updated or adjusted, and yes or no. And if they are, they can amend it or just create a new one. Mm-hmm. Okay. I had a patient years ago who was in the hospital for a, a three-month hospitalization. I picked him up when I was on hospital service, and um, I saw him for a post-hospital visit, and he said, I never want to go through that again. He did not have an advanced directive at the time, so we t- I talked about it. He put one together saying he wants no further hospitalization or aggressive care. Well, three months later, came down with another pneumonia, changed his mind in the emergency department, another three-month hospitalization. Yeah. They can be changed. Right, exactly. So who can change an advanced directive? So the, the patient themselves. And that's why when we think of when it should be done, the earlier the better. And w- when we think of our elder patients who might have dementia, so if you just look at uh, people in their 60s, that might be about 10% of the population have a diagnosis of dementia, or in their 70s, that might be 15%, mm-hmm. um, 20 to 25% in early 80s. 85 and older, almost half of the population will have a degree of dementia or a diagnosis of dementia. And it's much better to have patients' wishes before that and even if patients have like a mild or moderate dementia and can understand treatment options or what's mm-hmm. important to them, you, they can still fill out an advanced directive. So it can be done at any point, but the earlier the better. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about POLST, uh, Physician Orders for Life-Sustaining Treatment. And that's kind of, I like to think of working it in conjunction with an advanced directive. So this is, um, the provider will say, um, you, and specifics more for if you think of the living well, this is so for a patient who might have more of a advanced diagnosis, a cancer diagnosis, end stage uh, heart failure, where life expectancies decrease. So this is where you have the conversation with the patient, say, this is what you have, this is what we're concerned about, this is what we expect will happen, and giving them as much information to make a decision, like with your patient, um, especially if they had severe, I don't know, in that case, but if they had severe um, obstructive pulmonary disease, what what's important to you for your quality of life? And, and it, so as opposed to uh, a legal document, this is an order in the hospital. Okay, all right. Now these are legal documents, mm-hmm. and healthcare providers are obligated to follow them? They, they really are because that's where you're trying. The, the importance of a patient's wishes is to say, this is what my thinking is. And it, when you look at studies of different uh, healthcare providers who have dif- different religious backgrounds, you, you see maybe more of an aggressive approach or less aggressive approach depending upon their own background. So I think it's important for patients to say, I have an advanced directive mm-hmm. and this person's my voice and they're, they live, you know, it's my daughter. She lives 20 miles away. She lives in in California, and I don't say that often, but she's the one who's my my communicator. What would you say is the most important 
relationship to have to have the durable power of attorney with? Uh, is it someone who lives close by in proximity or the best relationship despite the fact they may be 2,000 miles away? Yeah. I, I, I think it's the person that probably has the best relationship. It might be easier if somebody goes to the hospital and the closest child, and again, most the over 50% of um, people defined as uh, durable poverty health care providers are children, mm -hmm. so they're the majority. And it's convenient to have somebody who lives close by, but if they're not the one who's the communicator or one who's really going to express the wishes of the family member or friend, then you just want that person who's going to be your best advocate. Sure. And again, I can't stress the importance enough of having all of the family know about the wishes. And um, so it's not a surprise when you really have to implement some of these uh, plans. Right. And it, so when my patients say, oh, yeah, I filled out my advance directive and I ask who their voice is and they'll say so-and-so or, you know, this person's my primary, this is alternative. And then I'll ask, are they aware of that? And it's like, uh, I think so. Mm -hmm. And yeah. then I'll say, you should ask them and let them know. Yep, yep. Well, when does a durable power of attorney for health care actually take effect? Who decides that? Um, so if the patient cannot communicate, um, and, and on our checklist at Mayo, you can actually check and say, even if I can communicate, this person's my voice. So you could opt into more expansive, but I, I usually try to emphasize you can't communicate for whatever reason. This could be a coma, this could be a stroke, this could be medications it could be a variety of reasons the patient might be delirious because of an infection and and the goal is they can communicate what is the next step yeah it becomes very challenging when the main medical problem is cognitive impairment from dementia and making that decision when they can still give valid requests and when they can no longer understand really what's happening right and and especially so the importance of define have your advanced directive as soon as possible just mm -hmm. in life as, as soon as possible, then you can clarify. And I encourage my patients to say, if, if something changes, I encourage them to amend it or change it at any point that mm -hmm. they feel that they need to or want to. Okay. Are there misperceptions about patients receiving various emergency care if they have advanced directive, uh, specifying they want no heroic measures? What I'm thinking about is, I remember I would occasionally, when I was working in the nursing home, get a, a family who'd say, well, no, I don't want if my mom started choking, I would not want them to let her continue to choke. It would yeah. be something easy that could be done to prevent that. Yeah. And I think, especially in patients in nursing homes, um, trying to understand what, what did their parent or family member want, what was important to them in life. So they might seem uncomfortable. Um, and if there's something that's reversible, I had a patient once who was in hospice and um, she had an end stage cancer. But it was important for her to be there for her, I think it was her granddaughter's first communion. Mm -hmm. And she was becoming dehydrated, so we gave her IV fluids to allow her to have the strength and energy to be at the communion. So again, looking at quality of life and saying what's important to her and helping her out. She could communicate that, and so we didn't, we weren't kind of bypassing, we were just listening to her wishes and what she wanted. Mm -hmm. How about the patient who has an advanced directive but wishes to have something we might consider somewhat aggressive, uh, surgery, uh, chemotherapy, dialysis? Would advanced directive preclude those things? And, and I think for patients, it's not our job to say, no, you can't have that or you shouldn't have that. It's to say what is realistic. And if somebody 
has an end-stage cancer that they're not going to survive. I think giving the facts to the family members communicating the wishes to say your the chance of survival of your mom or your dad or whoever they're the healthcare providers to say that this is what we think. They have a virtually no chance of surviving this and mm-hmm. there's no benefit from that yeah. intervention. And I have found almost universally patients and families have a really unrealistic view of the success of some of the aggressive measures such as CPR and uh, ventilation and so forth in the intensive care unit, especially in older, frail individuals. Right, and, and especially with family members who are like, oh, I, just, I, you know, I, I can't make the decision. I, I refer back to when your mom and I discuss this or your dad and I discuss this, what was important in their quality of life was X, Y, and Z. And I, and I just had a patient who, she was cognitive, um, but has end-stage cancer, and she's in an assisted living facility, husband is, had been a medical care provider. For him, it was hard to make that next step to say we're going to stop chemotherapy. Mm-hmm. And for her, she was taking a nap, at the, and I was doing a, a phone conference call with, with he and their son, and, and the patient, my the wife was sleeping at the time, taking a nap. And so I was trying to get his understanding of what her hopes and goals were, and then she woke up from her nap. And I said, well, bring her out, and let's let's talk about it. And we talked about what she had just gotten with her chemotherapy and how she felt with it, and she really described feeling just a lot of misery with nausea, vomiting, becoming dehydrated, and for her that was not quality of life. Right. And I think the goal is to be able to let go as you need to and, and, and understand what somebody's wishes are. Mm-hmm. Well, finally, can you summarize a few key points regarding the importance of advanced directives? And. Uh, some of the studies, there's a meta-analysis of about seven different studies showing you improve patients' quality of life at the end of life with advanced directives. Many will get into or go into hospice program earlier than if they did not have an advanced directive. The cost of care tends to be less, can be $1,000 to $60,000 less because you're, you're not sending them to the hospital because that's not what they wanted. So there's a quality of life improvement. There's a cost improvement. And, and for physicians, the biggest barrier is I just don't have time. And I encourage physicians who are practicing in the country and the world, make time, use it as your vitals. This is a patient's blood pressure. This is their vitals. And now, do you have an advanced directive? If not, I'm going to take some time or have somebody in your office set that time, have a protocol established. You can send them your patients to have a homework assignment, go watch a YouTube video on advanced directives, find the ones that you like best. Um, I have in my office a copy of our advanced directives, so I hand them out to patients when they do not have them, and we discuss them. And so once the work is done up front, then it's a lot easier as time goes on. And often if I have um, a patient and they're married or have a significant other, I'll give them two copies, one for themselves, and I say, well, if you don't have one, I know your spouse does another either or your partner doesn't have one either. So then they have them available. So it's kind of like a community project for them. Mm-hmm. And most importantly, we're doing what our patients want at a time when they can't really tell us anymore. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's so important. Yeah. Well, we've been discussing advanced directives with Dr. Janet Batoni, an internist and geriatrician in the Division of General Internal Medicine at the Mayo Clinic. Janet, thanks for coming by and talking about this important topic. Thank you so much, Joe. You can now listen to over 100 different medical topics developed for primary care providers on Mayo Clinic Talks podcasts. Find them at ce.mayo.edu or your favorite podcasting app. If you've enjoyed Mayo Clinic Talks podcasts, 
please subscribe. Stay healthy and see you next week.